It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. Welcome to another week of fun and frivolity in the off season and the long, dark summers of our soul. And I, you know, there's been a lot going on, a lot of chatter and talk about what's going to happen with sports, not just in the fall or college football, but pretty much all sports everywhere in the United States. And I think here's the deal. This is not the Dubcast where we discuss what people have decided because they haven't decided anything yet. But I will tell you, Andy, and this is what I think very fervently, we're going to know in probably three weeks max about what a lot of these things are going to look like because there's, there's no time. There is no more time. So in three weeks, if they don't have a plan nailed down, I don't see really much of anything happening in the fall. And we're, we're talking about some of these schools that have already said that, you know, they're not going to have, you know, in-person classes they are all going to be online. I don't know. You're, you're seeing a lot of contradictory things from a lot of places, but I, the time is running out. Time is running short for them to make some decisions on things. And I think that, uh, yeah, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to, we're going to know what's going to look like in the fall. So. Let's put this into perspective. We are 60 days, six zero days from Ohio state hosting Bowling Green in the season <laughs> opener in theory, yeah. the hypothetical season opener, you know, which means we're 67 days away from Ohio State theoretically traveling to the Pacific Northwest to take <laughs> on Oregon. So, yeah, time is time is running out. And, and I feel for the decision makers in this, you know, we've talked about it more than once. They the economics of college athletics are dependent upon football happening. And if football yep. doesn't happen, it's you know, it's bad for everybody in the business. However, comma. You know, with with cases spiking in many parts of the country, uh, you know, we're we're kind of reawakening to the fact that, hey, it's not roll out the banner that says mission accomplished and move on. Uh, this this thing is still uh, very much in its developing phases. So a lot of things happening in the past week. You had, um, you know, Harvard, I think, pretty famously was saying they're going to have most um, most of their classes done online. A lot of people were talking about that. And, you know, the, the Ivy Leagues, by hook or by crook, have kind of been taking the leadership position on some of these things. And you're watching to see what some of these kind of non-Power 5 leagues and conferences do with football. And uh, there are just still so many options on the table that you could conceivably see working, whether that's changing the schedule and limiting travel, whether that's no fans in the stands, whether that's, I mean, that there's still more questions than answers, but at some point in the next, I think you're right, two, three weeks tops, we're going to have to make the call because you've got to, at some point, get the gears turning if you're going to start a football season at, at all in the month of September. Right. And that's, <laughs> there are so many moving parts to all of this. Like logistically, it's not an easy thing to move an organization of 115 plus people from one part of the country to another part of the country in a couple of days and then move them back all on the time. To, like, there is so much that has to happen to make sure all of this goes smoothly. And maybe Pat Forty had it right. Maybe we should just do an all Ohio conference schedule. And Ohio maybe can't be the national champion in 2020, but it can be the Ohio champion in 2020, as it has been in 2019 and 2018 and 2017 and 2016. And, you know, at an infinitum and all the way back to the 19, what, 20s or whatever. But um, 
I, yeah, I just am not super optimistic, and it'll be interesting to see, like I said, what some of these decisions are made and, and how they're made in the next couple of weeks. But that's why it's important to pay attention, because I think that's coming up quickly, and people may be surprised at how early some of these decisions are made, because you can't wait till August. <laughs> you, just, you can't. It's, it's, you, you run out of time. Well, and you look at the schedule, you know, as, as Ohio State schedule lays out, the farthest they would travel would be Oregon, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in conference, if you say, okay, one of the things people have talked about as well, maybe you just have a uh, more or less a, a conference schedule and maybe we don't do the non-conference games and we kind of go from there or something along those lines. Well, if you did that, okay, um, the farthest that Ohio State would travel would be Maryland. Maryland and then Illinois to the west, I guess, was the farthest to go that direction. Um, you know, But then teams that are coming – to Ohio State, okay, in the non-conference, Buffalo coming in, uh, then in the conference schedule, Rutgers, Iowa, Nebraska would would be the teams coming the farthest. You know, otherwise you're conceivably in bus trips. But but I I, I marvel too. I don't think people really realize the travel that goes in for even games that aren't that far, that games that you and I and a normal person would drive to. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was visiting um, Mississippi state's vet college for my, my day job um, earlier this year, prior to the pandemic kind of taking hold. And I was talking to um, a fellow that works in their media department and he says, Oh yeah, we fly anywhere. That's more than four hours from Starkville. It's like, Oh, <laughs> well then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you don't think about it, but that's that's a real thing, right? Yeah, so. and and super common too. And it's just you know, it, it's a whole thing, and it's not as simple as putting two teams on a field and having them hit each other for three hours. I mean, you've just you've got to really plan this thing out. So I don't know. I'm I'm sure there's going to be a number of really intense discussions among both conference and media people going forward about what it's going to look like. I've heard rumblings about a spring season, which I think a lot of players would hate. But as we yeah, to me, got- that's one that's a non-starter because for particularly for draft eligible players, yeah, for so they, many reasons, they're yeah, not going to play. Especially for what you're saying right now, yeah, they're they're not going to play a full college season and then go get drafted. I think the trial balloon was floated, and the NFL was kind of like, yeah, we have no interest in pushing the draft back to accommodate this. So yeah, that how would about be nah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. not not going to be a thing. I did I, I, I did see some so interesting either. chatter over the weekend about you know what would what would it look like if you played more basketball games earlier in the season while people were off campus. Um, right. Since most of the schools are basically doing their fall semesters. If they, if they do physical in classroom instruction in fall semester, um, everybody's breaking at Thanksgiving and then not coming back mm-hmm. for the rest of the calendar year, which, which makes sense um, sure. in, in a sense. So, you know, maybe you play a lot of basketball games while students are off campus fewer people to to potentially um get exposed be exposed but that's that doesn't say anything about football right well that's there's just i don't know there's it's not like this is all equal either you know what i mean like the the danger level the the issues with football are not the same issues with basketball are not the same issues with you know ice hockey if you want to do that i mean wrestling there's just so many different things that go into it um, I actually, the last thing I want to say on this before we move on to some other things is uh, there's a baseball pitcher uh, for the Nationals who um, was interviewed about this. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting that he said, I think it's something that's going to stick with me for a while, is 
during his interview where he was asked about, you know, playing games and whatnot, Major League Baseball has reached an agreement, but obviously it's going to be very truncated season, probably not fans and all that. But he said that sports are like the reward of a functioning society. <laughs> and that is that is something that really resonates with me because all of these countries have kind of said like, okay, well, we can get back to sports once we get things to a certain level. And it almost mm-hmm. feels like, you know, we want to get to sports as quickly as possible without doing the things that are necessary to get to that point. And, and like, you can't have it both ways. So I just, I I think that's a really important thing. If you want to um, read that quote, you should the entire thing where he kind of responds to it because it's a really thoughtful thing and he doesn't really kind of take a side either way about playing games, but uh, the idea that sports are, you know, the reward of a functioning society is is a really, really good point. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm glad that he said that. Yeah, that's um, a great line. Yeah, but hopefully we get to that point where we are able to enjoy that reward. And I do want to talk about a few things. Just because we're not able to experience things like Major League Baseball yet and possibly not college football or college basketball in the future does not mean that sports aren't actually happening now. And I want to start off talking about just very briefly uh the basketball tournament tbt i sat down this past weekend and i was like all right i'm gonna watch this thing i'm gonna make a concerted effort this is live sports i need live sports in my life turn it on sat down on the couch watched about a third of the first game fell asleep immediately and i i missed cj jackson ohio state's own uh with a game winning three to uh to advance his team big x to the second round i I'm, I'm kind of ashamed that i i failed in that and i don't know andy have you been following this at all have you, were you able to check out any of uh, the basketball tournaments so i will i will be exceedingly honest i spent my fourth of july babysitting a, a glorious brisket uh, on <laughs> the offset smoker so i did not take in any of the live action and i was kind of bummed because yeah jackson with the game winner um, and, and his stat line was just okay. Seven points, two assists, three rebounds. But when you put the dagger in the, the coffin to advance your team to the, the next round, like, hey, well, who cares about the rest of the stats? You got right. the one that really mattered, right? Yeah. Uh, I and was, you're going to win. Uh, you're going to win the uh, the TBT, hopefully, you know, whatever it remains of the teams who have not been uh, impacted by COVID-19 because – Quite a few players and teams are not able to participate, unfortunately. Yeah, they've that. been dropping like flies. There, there yeah. are four or five teams, maybe now that have like that. had it's, to bow out. I mean, there it, it's been. I would. I mean, I think it's been a surprising number. I was surprised, I guess, at yeah how many have have fallen out so far. I mean, kudos, I guess, to the tournament for having enough alternate teams, I guess, to make it happen and yeah, those and teams for being ready to that. make it happen and so on and so forth. But yeah, it's kind of a, in a way though, it's a harbinger of what we're talking about though. So what right. happens <laughs> if we do go ahead with a football program and uh, you know, we are going to go ahead with this Bowling Green game as an example, and somebody on Bowling Green's team tests the week of the game. What do you do? You know, how does that work? So right. You know, but it's basketball's going on. Carmen's crew tipping off in the uh, Super 16 round on the 8th. So, what is that, Wednesday? Yep. Um, they'll be facing the 16 seed. Um, and, and if 
one would hope they win that game than than Big X, uh, in, assuming they win their Super 16 game also on the 8th against the Red Scare, then those teams would meet up in the quarterfinal and some some nice intrigue there. Yeah, um, I think that would be a lot of fun. And, and look, I as even though I struggle to stay awake this weekend, I do think I'll be able to uh, partake of the entire game that uh, Carmen's crew, you know, puts out there because that's, you know, those are all my favorites. Let's be real. I mean, it's just, there's so many great guys on that team and I'm really excited for that. So that's, that's TBT, the basketball tournament still going on. Pay attention to it. It's fun. It's live. That's, that's really what's important here. So that's cool. Um, Another thing that I want to talk about that we briefly touched on last week, uh, big 10 network came out with their list. They're all decade list. And we kind of hashed out, I, I think really the, the most controversial and one that causes Ohio state fans, maybe the most consternation last week. Uh, you know, if you're talking about linebackers and running backs, I would also say, however, defensive backs kind of got screwed in that list as well. And really you could have the entire, you know, defensive choices, defensive back choices, be Ohio state players, but alas, that didn't uh, turn out that way. Um, and it ended up where JT Barrett was the, uh, you know, the quarterback of the decade. Braxton Miller got on there as kind of the offensive, you know, player athlete of the decade, which I think is appropriate. I think it's a good way to kind of split that hair because you want to try to get both of those guys on the list. I want to ask you, Andy, though, and this is kind of a discussion that we had amongst ourselves in the Warriors. Do you think JT Barrett was... I'm, let me put it this way. I'm not going to ask you if he was the appropriate choice because he's, you know, the guy, so many records and so many accolades and all that. But do you think he was the best quarterback in the Big Ten in the 2010s? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he's, okay. I'm, 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 a, I'm a JT Barrett stan, you know, so when we were doing our take counter take earlier in the offseason about whether or not, um, the, the, you know, Barrett would have led the team to a national title had he not been injured at the end of 2014 you know i i took a pretty pretty hard line there um and and i'm one who tends to think that barrett pre-injury and barrett post-injury were were sort of different animals you know and that if in the trouser legs of time had that injury not happened you know the jt barrett career might have been different which is wild to say because it was one of the most successful careers of any Big Ten quarterback ever, right? Statistically, the best sure. career of a Big Ten quarterback since Drew Brees, who is, by the way, very good at throwing a football. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I I think it was not only the um, the appropriate selection, I guess, but also would have been um, would have been because if you look at uh, others in there, I thought there was a really fun piece that Dan Hope put together about. Uh, uh, the Buckeyes all decade team versus the rest of the big 10 right. was nice July 4th reading, you know, and, and he puts up uh, Russell Wilson as the other, uh, as the big 10s quarterback, you know, who, by the way, also very good at playing football, but was a big 10 quarterback for one season. You know, we would, we would probably not be talking about him quite as much if he hasn't had, hadn't had such an incredible NFL season, which I think is also part of the reason people go sort of revisionist history on JT Barrett, because he's one of these, and a long line of Ohio State quarterbacks who were fantastic in college and that didn't have a professional career where right. emotionally you might go all in on Dwayne Haskins, who also had an exceptional Ohio State season as as the QB number one and mm-hmm. is also poised to have a pretty good professional career so far. I think we'd we'd have high hopes that he could be Ohio State standard bearer among quarterbacks in the league. So 
uh, yeah, I was good with the decision. I think the stats bear it out. And I think if, um, no pun intended there, bear it out. The stats bear it out. Get it. (laughs) I think if they had picked anybody else, um, it would have been really weird. It would have been weird because of what he meant iconically to the big 10. And I, from a stat standpoint, from the fact that he was just the face of Ohio state for so long, you know, I, and I love Joe Thomas Barrett. I'm not, I'm not hating on JT Barrett at all. I, I think he is an incredible quarterback and obviously led Ohio state to a lot of success. I think one of the issues with JT Barrett is that he was playing in a system very, very, very well tailored to his individual talents. But what that means is, is that because it was Urban Meyer's system, you're not really, I mean, you're a quarterback, right? But you're really expected to run a system. You're, you're expected to run the zone read option. And he was very good at that and did very, you know, amazing things and put up huge stats in doing so. But it also is like, it doesn't give the quarterback a chance to overcome the system if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So in other mm-hmm. words, if the system isn't working, if, uh, if the other team defensively is schemed and, and figured out, okay, we're going to take this away, then you just better hope that your athletes are better than theirs because you're really not going to do a whole lot to defeat that. Whereas I would argue for Dwayne Haskins simply on the fact that he was playing without a functional offense. He was the only functional part of that. Off- the, the running game was not working while he was quarterback. Like it just wasn't working. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. He was throwing the ball 40, 45 times a game because he had to, because there was no other way to get yardage. And he still threw for almost 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns. That to me is the sign of like greatness. And I'm not saying JT Barrett isn't great, but it blows my mind that Dwayne Haskins was able to do what he was able to do considering how dysfunctional the rest of the offense was. Everybody knew that Ohio State was going to have to throw the ball a ridiculous amount of time when he was playing quarterback because they didn't have a good running game. So it's not like JT Barrett where it's like, okay, well, we've got all these different running backs in the backfield and then he's a threat to run and then we're going to, you know, throw these like kind of out routes and whatnot and crossing path. It, it, it was, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I think Dwayne Haskins' success was a function of his skills as a quarterback. JT Barrett's success was a function of his skills as a quarterback, but also because he played in a system that was perfectly tailored to who he was as a you know, as an athlete, um, both are great. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from either of them, but to me, Dwayne Haskins just overcoming what he did uh, to to really have the season that he had. That would be the argument that I would make for him. And be, I think there's a different question between would would you pick JT Barrett as the best quarterback of the decade in the Big Ten, and who would you build your franchise around? So I think sure. if you were asking the question that way, and 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 you did, and I didn't answer it the way you asked it, probably. The, no, but, uh, but I understand the, the, what you're saying, though. You, you, you would, yeah, if you were drafting a guy in the first round to, you know, run the fighting Johnny Ginter's uh, offense, you would you would be well advised to go with Dwayne Haskins because of his talents and skill set and all the yeah. things he does. And because versus, I'd be a bad coach and you need somebody to, like, overcome that and <laughs> make, you know, make up for the fact that I didn't know what I'm doing. So. Well, and, and so the only thing that, that I keep – it always kind of – it always kind of frosts my flakes a little bit when people will kind of downplay Barrett as, as the game manager distributor type. And they'll point out, you know, that's exactly what you very correctly pointed out that this is urban Myers offense and all this sort of thing. Um, but that's the job he was asked to do. Right. Sure. And he did it better than anybody else. Like who, 
who in the Urban Meyer history, like you go back at all of the quarterbacks that Urban Meyer ran through his various offenses. I think you could argue that JT did it better than any, any of them. You know, the yeah. stats would certainly say so. Um, you know, and it's, uh, but, but to, I think your point, who was uh, big Ten's second team, all decade quarterback. Wasn't it, wasn't it, uh, yeah. Our good Dwayne Haskins, right. That's right. So, so <laughs> well, think, and yeah, the thing is, here's the other thing. If we're talking about accolades all day, I mean, who else are you going to pick? The big 10 has had some pretty, I want to tell you something. Big 10 has had some pretty slim pickings in general at the quarterback position. Uh, overall, there have been some really good quarterbacks, but there's been some dire quarterback play. And the Ohio State has had, you know, really, you could, I mean, they put three Ohio State quarterbacks near the top of this thing because what else are you going to do? I mean, who else are you going to pick? Uh, like Nick Sheridan, like, I, you know, like it's not, I don't know. To me, it's it's kind of indicative both of how successful Ohio State was under Urban Meyer and also, um, just the kind of players that they're getting in and the kind of recruiting that they're doing. Cause it's just, it's so far and away better than some of these. I mean, other schools on this big 10, you know, all decade list are represented. It's not like there aren't schools on here, you know, with regularity, but it, it feels like they're exceptions to the rule. And when you think about Ohio state defensive backs or Ohio state linebackers or Ohio state running backs, like this is just consistent, like consistent excellence that they've had. And, I, I am glad that you brought up Dan's piece because it really does show, I think, the talent disparity between Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten in a lot of ways. It's it's pretty wild. Uh, so I just want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com, drygoods.11warriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. we got masks as well, very nice, uh, and we do donate some of that to charity, so also nice. And let's do a little Ask Us Anything. So as a reminder, you can ask us anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com, D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com, or on Twitter at 11dubcast. Uh, We got a question here from Matt, and this is a pretty deep one. I'm I'm glad you asked this. And Matt does apologize for throwing, you know, kind of heavy questions at us, but that's what we want. It's, you know, you got to challenge us a little bit. So he basically says he was thinking about uh, ghosts of off seasons past and present. And he realized that it's been nearly two years since the infamous summer of Smith, courtesy of Brett McMurphy. Looking back, I think that many of us, especially me, were expending an unhealthy amount of energy on that whole saga. So two years removed, what do you think are the lessons learned for Ohio state journalism and fandom? Um, I'll, you know what? I'll start off with this real quick. Actually. I think that when it comes to sports information, Fans, journalists, I think schools really, really, really want to try to get ahead of any kind of narrative. And this is the case with any large organization, but in in sports, it's especially pertinent because you've got a large amount of people using media at all times discussing it. You know, if you're if you're in some kind of like industry or business, you don't have literally millions and millions and millions of people constantly evaluating your performance and talking about the ramifications of x y and z unless you're like you're in politics or some other thing like that sports is really kind of you know unique in that way and so as a result everybody wants to get ahead of the story and a huge element to the zach smith thing and the urban meyer thing and all that stuff was the fact that a lot of people had had concerns about zach smith privately, publicly, whatever, for a really long time. 
And people have talked about this guy as not being a super good dude and all this other stuff and made accusations about things that he had done, you know, maybe talking amongst themselves. And so when this came out, it was kind of validation, I think, of what a lot of people had already thought and heard from other people, you know, the, the stories going around about this guy. And so when Urban Meyer kind of talks about, you know, how he wasn't aware of certain things and whatnot, I think for me personally, I was incredulous. Like, how is that possible? Like, this is something that's been talked about. You know, if I if I have heard the stories, if I, John Ginner, have heard this stuff, I don't see how you have avoided it. Um, but that was without the benefit of hindsight and seeing else how the story came out. And I just think the big thing is not to be not to give into the reactionary impulse um, to a lot of things. I mean, I don't I don't as as a person, I, I can't comment on any of Zach Smith's legal issues because I don't you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I can't you know, whatever. As a person, I'm not a big fan of him, but um, that's different than making proclamations about, you know, legal things. And I think that's where, when those two things start to intersect, you have to be very careful. And I also agree that two years after the fact, when we've talked about things like Larry Nasser and some of these other things that have happened at Ohio State, uh, it, it's it's one of those things where you really do want investigations to play out in full. So you can see the full extent of what you're dealing with um, rather than getting kind of caught up in that, you know, trying to validate and keep up with the story because it evolves so quickly with sports media. So that's what I would say people have learned and what I've learned in particular. One of the things I often think about, and, and you know, I have to say, so the first, you know, 10 years of my career in media was spent uh, doing radio specifically in the niche, and it's a super niche of agricultural news. And one of the things that that um, we talk about a lot amongst farm broadcasters is, are we journalists or are we advocates for the industry we cover? Because right. there's, there's um, a sense like farmers a lot of times feel dumped on or feel unfairly targeted, whether it's animal rights activists, whether it's uh, environmentalists, whether it's people who are hepped up on goofballs about GMOs or whatever. There, there are just a lot of issues that people raise about food and farming. And so farmers, a lot of times feel, and, and you know, again, this is a pretty small percentage of our population that, that actually owns and operates farms. You know, it's less than 2% of all sure. people are are involved in the actual work of farming. Now the ag industry is much larger than that, you know, when it turned like in Ohio we'd say oh, I want to say it's something like um oh, I can't remember what the stat is, but it's a it's a larger percentage of people who are involved in the actual production of food and so on. But we talk about this as journalists. Like is our job to be journalists or is it to be advocates? And I always fell on the side that I I consider myself a journalist. My right job was to report, um, you know, fairly accurately the, the facts. And if there was something that the industry was doing that was wrong or screwy, I should, as a good journalist, say that. Um, I think you run into that in sports media, particularly um, with people outside of the traditional media outlets. Uh, and you think like, you know, newspaper or wire services in particular, who, who are brought up as journalists more so than as, as fans. But for a lot of us, like say you and I, for example, our day job is not covering uh, a sports team, right? So right. we're, we're hosting podcasts, but we, we have other jobs and do other things and so on. And we like writing about it. And it's, it's a, a passion, if you will. 
Um, but there are a lot of there are a lot of times when I read other sports writers, other sports sites. Uh, I don't mean just specific to Ohio State. I'm just talking about in general, where you can tell that the writer, you know, is a is a fan of a team or a program, not a journalist covering that team and program. And I think and I think fans in particular, like we've adopted this um, kind of uh, if you're not with us, you're against us mentality. Mm-hmm that if you're writing something that is not favorable to my team or player or whatever it is that I'm personally invested in, then, then you're the devil and you should, you know, do not pass, yeah. go, do not collect $200, go straight to hell. And that the Zach Smith urban Meyer debacle kind of brought that out in sharp relief, you know? So we've been Ohio versus the world since, you know, forever. I mean, we went through <laughs> it in the tat gate where, you know, you look back and you say, man, Jim Trestle and those guys really got railroaded and the media well, played a role in that. Here's and what I'll say about that, though, is that I think it cuts both ways. And I, I do think there is a line because if, you know, something like abuse, like actual like physical abuse mm-hmm. is going on, you, you talk about like obviously what happened at Penn State and whatnot. If someone reports on that, I don't think there are many fans. Let's say they're reporting on it as it happened. So in early 2000s, some reporter gets wind of this. They get credible, credible evidence. They have people willing to speak on record, all that stuff. I don't think too many Penn State fans would be like, oh, I can't believe you talked about that. How, how dare you take down the great Joe Paterno? Because the gravity of what happened would then be like, okay, well, obviously this is a serious thing. With that said, I am always curious about where fans draw the line on that. Because it's like, to what extent are you willing to excuse certain improprieties from the sports teams that you like? And I think people would mostly draw the line at like abuse and things like that. But I I think from what I've seen is that people will kind of have their own opinions on what constitutes like a quote unquote story. And so that's, what's really interesting to me because my, you know, idea of that is, is very different than maybe what someone else's might be. And what I will also say, and this is kind of the opposite direction of this I don't know that we were aggressive enough during the whole Taggate thing and kind of pushing back on the idea that this is stupid, <laughs> honestly, because while I understand where some fans would say like, well, you went way too far with Urban Meyer and, you know, tried to go after this guy. I can see an argument for that. I can understand why somebody would feel that way. But I also think that maybe the same could be true um, for Jim Trestle. If if you can make that argument for Vermeer, I don't see how you can't make that argument for Jim Trestle. And I think that us as as media also has to kind of pump the brakes a little bit sometimes and say, wait a minute, like, let's put this in perspective. And specifically for the Jim Trestle thing and Tatgate, I I really think that should have led to a larger discussion. I think it did to a certain extent, but maybe at the time we should have said, this is asinine that a coach would have to do this. And it's ridiculous that he would be, you know, fired for breaking this particular, you know, again, he got fired for lying to the NCAA, but it'd be ridiculous that he would even be in that situation in the first place. I don't think that's something that we pushed back enough on when it happened. Um, So it's always a judgment call. And that's, what's really fascinating about it because you're never going to get it right for everybody. There's going to be all kinds of people who are going to be either happy or angry with how you report on a specific Mm -hmm. subject. Um, But I think if you want to be taken seriously, as you talked about, you know, working on the ag stuff, then I think you just have to kind of be honest to yourself and, and say, is this something that we want to report on? And as, at 11 Warriors, I got to tell you something, man, there are certain things that we have reported on that I was like, okay, this is essential stuff. We absolutely need to do it. And there was stuff that we haven't. And earlier in our, uh, you know, 
early, well, not in the whole site's history, but in my history with the site, uh, Jim Trestle talked about how he would welcome a um, an openly gay football player on his team. We did not report that on the site. We didn't talk about it. Now, granted, this was, we were, you know, much, 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 much smaller. And we weren't reporting on every single thing. We were more like, okay, this is the weekend. What games are going on? What's going, you know, what are we going to talk about? But that's something that I felt that we could have talked about. We didn't. Um, and I feel like we should have. So it's always a judgment call and it's not always going to be right. And I'm always fascinated to see how people react to it because it's, it goes back to what I said at the beginning of this, you know, you've got to, maybe it's smarter to slow your roll a little bit and, and try to put things in perspective, even when everything else about the industry is pushing you to keep, you know, making judgment calls and going forward, because that's the nature of, of sports in general. So, yeah. And one of the things I would encourage fans to do when you're evaluating a story, about your team. This doesn't just have to be Ohio State. You could be talking about, you know, the the Cavaliers or the Reds or or the Harlem Globetrotters, but whatever it is, you know, if you're you're reading a story and it's and it's you know critical of or unfavorable to your particular coach, player, team, franchise, whatever it is, if if you're feeling an emotional reaction to it, you know, maybe the thing to do is is to to stop, take a second, and before you jump in on the you know, media bias narrative, because every fan base is assumes that the media is biased against their, I guarantee you, there's an Alabama fan somewhere who thinks ESPN is out to get Nick Saban. <laughs> okay. Like <laughs> this is a thing uh, there, there, yeah. there are no yeah, doubt. Sure. I have no doubt in my mind that Clemson fans are convinced that we're all out to get Dabo Swinney. Right. Um, you know, so oh, no, yes, they absolutely believe that 100%. Is it poor, poor little Clemson. So, so all that said, you know, Take take a break and think about the story. So we could be talking about Urban Meyer um, and and say, okay, how would I feel about this set of facts if it wasn't my guy? Yeah. You know. So so take take that emotional attachment to you know and say, or or even better yet, if if this was happening at Michigan, what would be my response? Right. And and that might give you some clue. And it's hard to do that. It's really hard it's to do that. It's very hard. Because very hard. for us, because you, I mean, look, I got two degrees from Ohio State. I loved my time there. I live in Columbus. I absolutely love the university in general. It means a lot to me and has meant to a lot to me in my life. I don't want bad things to happen there, but I also want to make sure that, you know, I, we're honest as a news source. Like we, we can't ignore bad news because otherwise that invalidates everything that we're, we're just a blog then at that point. Um, so I don't want 11 warriors to be like that. I want us to be able to go after that stuff. And it sucks. It sucks to talk about. I, after I heard about the, uh, Jim Trestle stuff and, you know, and they did the Yahoo report and all that, I went to the gym and angrily ran for like five miles. Cause I was like, he's done. I knew it. Like he's done. It's over. And I just ran and ran and ran. Cause I was furious because I knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, I'm not happy about talking about that stuff. I hate it. But it's it's unfortunately part and parcel of you know the gig, I guess. So after about a decade of doing this, I mean, there, there's going to be ups and downs, and you just have to be honest, I guess. It's, and and I had somebody, and I wish I could remember. It's but one of our colleagues on staff, whether it was it was Jason or Ramsey or Dan, I, I don't I don't want to guess because it. But it was somebody right after I started writing for the site. We were talking about something. I don't even remember what the issue was, and they made the comment, you know, that being in this business long enough changes how you watch Ohio state oh, sports. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. It, it, it changes, you know, your, your fandom in a way, not, not that you're not a fan or you're not, you know, most of us are, are graduates of the university or at least, you know, lifelong fans or whatnot. But, but, uh, you know, when you get, 
you, when you find out how the sausage is made, so to speak, you know, you just have a different <laughs> level of awareness. Yes. Um, you know, true. you watch games more critically. Maybe you have, you know, a little bit more objectivity than you would if you were just, you know, happily watching the game on Saturday while drinking a, a foamy pop. You know, that's that's all, all part and parcel. So, you know, like I say, back to, back to my comment, you know, just fans, when you read a story that rouses you up, um, yes, ESPN is out to get us. But other than that, <laughs> just, you know, exercise a modicum of objectivity. <laughs> yes, it does. The thing about ESPN, people say, but they love Ohio State. ESPN doesn't care about Ohio State. ESPN doesn't care about Alabama. They don't care about any, they don't care about Duke, UNC. All they care about is how many people are watching the TV and how many people are clicking on their articles. That's it. And if that could be, you know, accomplished with Louisiana tech, if that could be accomplished with Texas state, they don't care. And and that's what people really need to understand. Their, their goal is clicks and views and they'll do what needs to be done to get that. And they've got a whole machine set up, but it, it's indifferent to Ohio state. It really is. They, they don't care. They just want people to click and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know, people get pissed, but you know, the reason why Ohio State's talked about so much is because the, it has such a massive fan base and you know, that's, that's a good thing. That means Ohio State's good. <laughs> so, you know, if, if ESPN is picking on Ohio State, just be glad that, you know, you're not, I don't know, you know, Iowa or whatever and, and get mentioned maybe once every 50 articles that they put out there, you know, and usually in a bad context. So that's that's something to maybe keep in mind as well. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, Matt also added this just really briefly. He talks about how he's getting he loves going up and, uh, you know, wearing his, you know, anti-Michigan stuff, his beat Michigan shirt, for example, Michigan shirt and seeing how people react to it. Have you ever worn the Ohio State, uh, you know, paraphernalia in a place that's gotten you some looks or kind of like strutted your stuff in a place maybe where, you know, they, they would not take kindly to it? Well, I, I travel uh, a fair bit in my my day job, or at least did prior to to uh, Q Q two of this year. Yeah, and uh, I'm a Delta loyalist, and so that means I fly through Detroit quite quite frequently. Oh, there you go. The the worst part about changing planes in Detroit it's a it's a, it's a lovely airport, um, lots of fun places to eat, and so on. But is that <laughs> there are more than a few of my fellow travelers wearing that uh, uh the colors of that team up north so yeah nobody's ever uh you know kind of popped off or anything like that but you you know you kind of can tell there's a brosif over there checking you out you know and giving you kind of <laughs> the, the stink eye of the side. for for the most part though what what i tend to have happen is a lot of my colleagues and clients um are also products of big 10 schools so you know well they're usually be like oh you're the ohio state guy because you know there are a lot of ag grads from say Illinois or right. uh, of course I have a lot of colleagues who are also Iowa state grads. Um, yeah. So not, not in the big 10, but you know, in the same general footprint. And so you'll, you know, you'll kind of get those kind of comments that, you know, are rooted at least a little in jealousy or envy that my football team is good and yours is not quite well, so good. <laughs> the one time I've actually had that kind of experience was, so my, we were moving my sister out for her senior year. She went to Vanderbilt. So we're in Nashville and we're moving her out of her dorm and some guy, like I'm wearing an Ohio state shirt, you know, and it, it, it's not like I was trying to go down there to like strut my stuff and like, Hey, you know, Ohio state, like I, it's Nashville. Nobody should care. And 
some guys like, hey, Big Ten sucks. <laughs> like, you're in Vanderbilt. Stop. Like that's I literally told the guy, I was like, this is Vanderbilt. What are you talking about? Yeah. My team has won more games in one season than yours has in like the past 12 years. Shut up. Nobody cares about Vanderbilt. And I, it's hilarious how some people just say, oh, I'm getting that guy. I'm like, really? You got to pick your battles. Okay. I understand that you think you're in the SEC and you can maybe talk some business. <laughs> maybe pick on a Northwestern dude or yeah. pick on somebody like, I don't know, an Indiana guy. Ohio State fan probably isn't the target you want to go after in that case. Well, th- this I wasn't wearing apparel, but uh, so one of my one of my coworkers that uh, is is on my my uh, team I work with most closely is an Iowa State uh, alumna, and the night that Clemson beat Ohio State thirty-one to zip, the first text message I get after that game is from this coworker. Of laughing up her sleeve that Ohio State got drubbed in that bowl game. Right. And I texted back, I was like, your team won three games this right. season. What are we even talking about? <laughs> like, come on. Oh, no, there's a dude. Oh, my God. There's a guy I know from childhood who is a big uh, Vols fan. And <laughs> I, I swear to God, like, I'll, I'll, I don't use Facebook that much anymore, but I would, I would post stuff about Ohio State or whatever. And he'd always be in the comments, like talking stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, there's no argument. There is no back and forth banter we can have. There's no argument. You're a Vols fan. Stop it. Please, for love of God, stop it. Because you cannot have this conversation with me. It will not end well for you in any context at all. So you got to just knock it off. But some people can't help themselves, and especially Vols fans, by the way, cannot help themselves because they're Vols fans. But um, I don't know. I just think that's funny. And if anyone else has had that uh, kind of experience, I would love to hear those stories because those always crack me up. Yeah, sounds great. I uh, will say, like, I make a point when I'm traveling to always have some piece of Ohio State, whether it's, you know, if I'm if I'm wearing a sport coat, I'll typically will have a Blocko lapel pin or I'll have a hat or or a pullover or something to to have because there's so many times you're you're changing planes in atlanta or you know you're you're getting out out of a a cab at the airport or or a hotel and and invariably everywhere i go there's somebody that you meet you know gordon gee always said the sun never sets on ohio state and i've i've found in my professional travels that that's that's very true that just pretty much everywhere i've gone you'll see somebody will see that that block O on you and we'll throw up an OH or we'll toss you a go box. And, you know, it's just a nice, it's just a nice thing. I, I love that. I know, yeah. I know not everybody loves the OH um, IO callback in, in public spaces. I do. Cause it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's a little bit of solidarity with your fellow yeah. man, you know, who, who who's going to hate on that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't hate on it. I, I, it's, you know, it's a little corny, but who gives a crap? You yeah. Know what? It, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be your thing, but if somebody throws it at me, I'm, I'm going to throw it back. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm nice. more likely to just toss out a Hago Bucks and right and, and go on, but but I, I dig it. You know, there was I was in Atlanta one time and you know, like 20 feet behind me, um, I hear this lady say, Oh H, and I turn around and popped IO. And so I stopped to talk to her. You know, she was born in Columbus and lived, you know, the first 10 or 15 years of her life in Ohio State, but then had not lived in Ohio since, you know. So mm-hmm. fast forward 30, 40 years. And so she and her daughter were walking through the airport and saw my Ohio state jacket on and just wanted to, you know, talk about Buckeye stuff and hear this, you know, second generation at growing up, um, you know, an Ohio state fan, even though she'd never lived in Ohio and, 
yeah, so it was, you know, it was just a nice thing. So I'm, yeah. I'm all about it. Yeah, that's cool stuff. Uh, thanks for sending in that question, and I really appreciate uh, the the tough stuff. We we enjoy answering it, so please keep sending those in. And we'll be back next week to answer questions, talk about all the good stuff going on in sports. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next week.